pray with me, please? Father God, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we come to you, Father, to worship you, to exalt you. We come to you to learn from you. We come to you, Father, we come to you not with any merit of our own, but seeking your grace. For we know you to be a graceful and loving God and, heart and, and Father. And Father, I just pray that today you would open our ears to hear. You would open our hearts to know you and to love you. I pray, my Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, minister to all of us according to our own personal needs. Minister to us by your Holy Spirit. Awaken us to your truth and awaken us to our discipleship, Lord. Let us have a, a clear view of the meaning of being your disciple. We acknowledge you and praise you now and always. In Jesus' holy name, Lord. Amen. Good morning, everyone. May I uh, invite you, please, to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, we're going to be in the 14th chapter of Luke. But we're also going to be looking at a, a few other things in this gospel as well. So, Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. And let me begin by asking you just a couple of questions I want you to think about and ponder, because I think they're important. The first question I would like to ask of you is what has following Jesus cost you so far? I just want you to think about it in your own life. You each have a life, and I don't know all the details of your life. But I want you to consider for a moment with, with some care what has following Jesus costs you so far in your life? What has it cost you? The second question that I would want you to ponder today as we begin is this. What are the gospel's demands of everyone who embraces the person of Jesus as Lord and Savior and his teachings. What are the gospel's demands? And I think it's important that we recognize they're not suggestions. What does the gospel demands are for any one of us who chooses to make Jesus Christ or call on Jesus Christ 
to be our Lord, our Savior, our King. What are the gospel demands according to his teaching? Certainly you know that the gospel demands something from us. They're not suggestions. Jesus' teachings were very, very important. They intended to transform the disciples. They intended to transform the people that would hear him, even if they weren't disciples. And they were intended to transform the world through those disciples. So what are the gospel demands on all who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord? And then the third question is, do you think that the gospel makes radical demands on all believers? Do you think that the gospel of Jesus Christ the gospel that Jesus brought us in teaching, in word, and in deed, do you think that the gospel makes radical demands on all who believe? You can answer to yourself. You can consider what your answer might be. I want to again tell you that Jesus is on his journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. I've been showing you the same map for the last several sermons as we have been walking with Jesus from Galilee after his Galilean ministry has ended and he is headed to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, but more important than celebrate Passover, he's headed to Jerusalem to be the Passover, to be the Lamb of God that is sacrificed on this day. But I think it's very important for us to understand that with, with Jesus announcing the cost that he was willing to pay for the salvation of mankind, with Jesus constantly announcing why he was going to Jerusalem, which was to be betrayed, to be killed, and in three days rise again. Every time Jesus announces his cause, the cause he's willing to pay for your salvation, he also announced to his disciples that they too had a cost to pay, that they were not coming along for the ride. As the master had a cost to pay, so everyone who follows Jesus Christ was going to have to have a cost to pay. If they were going to actually live and obey the gospel. It's, it's interesting to me when we read the gospels, that Jesus, when he calls his first disciples, 
he calls uh, Peter and, and Andrew and John and, uh, uh, and his brother James, and then he calls Philip and he calls others in the Gospel of John. He doesn't begin by announcing suffering. He doesn't begin by telling them, come, I will make you fishers of men, but this is going to happen to you. Peter, you're going to die crucified head down. James, you're going to be beheaded by, by Pilate. He doesn't begin by telling them what their cause is going to be. But the closest that he comes to him paying his own cause, he also begins to tell them after they've spent a time with him that that they're also going to be having to pay a cost and a price. That the master's suffering wasn't going to be without their own suffering that would come. Because they would identify with him so much that they will identify all the way to the cross. If you remember when John and James came to Jesus one time and said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, please have one of us sit at the right and the other one at the left. And Jesus kind of said to them, that's not for me to give you. I have a baptism to be baptized with and I have a cup to drink from. Are you willing to drink it? Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, we do. Little did they know what that cup meant. The cup of the cross, the cup of suffering, the baptism of, of suffering. It's too easy at times to say, Jesus, I'll follow you. Jesus, yes, 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 Lord, give me all the benefits. But without considering sometimes the cost that comes with following the Lord, Jesus Christ. So at the beginning, he doesn't much tell them what it's all going to cost them. But if they were going to become like Jesus in every way, the cross was going to have to be part of it as well. It wasn't that Jesus was trying to discourage discipleship, but he certainly wanted disciples that were all in. He didn't want disciples that at the last moment, when things got tough, they would bail out. As it was, all of them pretty much bailed out on Jesus at one point or another. But Jesus was looking for disciples that would be all in and uncompromised. And I think he looked for that because that was the future of the church and the future of the movement and the future of the gospel. Any disciple uncommitted that would draw away eventually would not continue the preaching, the teaching, the doing of the kingdom of God. And he needed disciples that were fully committed, that understood understood the meaning of the gospel with benefits as well as with responsibilities and the suffering that comes with it. It kind of reminded, reminded me as I was reading and studying for, for this sermon, it reminded me of Jesus' parable of the seed and, and the grounds. 
and some seed, which is the gospel, falls upon the ground, and the devil comes and eats it and takes the seed away, and that seed never has a chance, because something in, in the world just takes away the gospel from us. At first it looks nice, at first it looks promising, at first the promises of God look good, but then the devil just comes and picks it up. And some other of the gospel seeds fall upon uh, hardened ground, and, and it doesn't have roots, and it dies when the sun comes out. And other of the seed falls upon um, shrubs and, 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 and things that kill the plant the moment it starts going out. And then Jesus says that some of the seed falls in good ground, and it builds a strong plant, and it bears much, much fruit. And this is kind of what I'm thinking when I read this passage. Now, the teachings of Jesus have never been easy. Have never been easy. In fact, I decided to kind of look back at all that, actually, the sermons I have been preaching you preaching to you for a few months back, since we began to look at Jesus' journey from Galilee, I've, I kind of looked back and said, now what has Jesus taught so far on the road? Have they been easy stuff or have they been hard stuff? And as I, as I went back, I found some of these sayings of Jesus that I want you to consider. One has to do with sacrifice. Jesus says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I mean, it spoke of, of two things. It spoke of the itinerant ministry of Jesus, he didn't have much riches. He didn't have a home. He didn't have anything that somebody else did not provide for him. And the other thing that it tells me is that no matter how much others provided for Jesus, this earth and this life was not his home. Jesus always knew that home was with his Father in heaven. On this earth, he would not have a place where to lay his head. And any disciple of his need to know that earth is not just for comforts. That our ultimate home is in heaven. That we too, like Jesus, should not rest on comforts. That should not rest on the things that are provided for us to survive and to enjoy this life and this earth. That ultimately, we exist for God and God alone. The second teaching of Jesus that I came across is, then he said to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, if you ever lost someone you love, you recognize how hard this word is. Let the dead bury their own dead. But you, as a disciple of mine, you need to go and preach the gospel. That has to be your focus. Another uh, 
place is another one said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are in my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I mean, these are hard sayings. Lord, I am willing to follow you. I am willing to do what you want me to do. But please let me go home for a moment and say goodbye to those that I love. And Jesus says, once you put your hand on the plow, just think of this. Anyone that is plowing a field, if you want the furrows to be straight, you kind of have to have your eye on the goal or on, on, the, on the horizon. Or so, at some point, a stake or something, and you, and you do the furrows, you, you, you do the plowing with that in mind so you have straight furrows. If you put your hand to the plow and you start looking back, guess what's going to happen to that field? It's going to be every which way twisted. It's not going to look very nice. And it probably won't be very useful. Jesus says in the kingdom of God is very similar. You can't have your eye on the kingdom and eye on other responsibilities. If you're going to be my disciple, and once you put your hand, and once you've decided to walk with Jesus and do the work of the kingdom, you have to have your eye on one goal, and that's Jesus Christ. He's your stake in the, in the horizon. He's the place you're driving to. You can't be looking elsewhere. Another of the teachings of Jesus that we saw is when, when, uh, when a lawyer came up to Jesus and said, in order to trap Jesus, if you remember, and he says, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus said uh, this, uh, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Actually, that's, that was said by the, by the lawyer himself, because when he questions Jesus, Jesus says, so what, you lawyer, what do you read in the law? And, and this was the man's response, and Jesus says, perfect, you got it, now go do it. See, that was the hard stuff. Go do it. Go love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and go love your neighbor as yourself. You know, in, the, in, in our liturgy, after I say to you, this, uh, this is what Jesus said, love the Lord your God. You remember that? Every Sunday we do that. What comes right after that? We sing, Lord, have mercy. We sing, Lord, have mercy. Because of how hard it is to live this command. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. Which is very appropriate because as hard as we may try to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And if we do it as often as we can, we will undoubtedly at times fail and fall apart. So we need always the love and the grace and the mercy of God. After he left the house of the Pharisee, Jesus went over to the house of Mary and Martha. And you all remember that sermon, I hope. Martha very busy, trying to provide. 
and Mary makes Jesus her goal, makes Jesus her attention, makes Jesus the most important thing and the most important person in that whole gathering. Martha's so busy providing, Mary is committed to just gleaning every word that come out of Jesus. And, and in a way, this is our teaching as well, that that is our goal, is, is to be devoted to Jesus, to be in the Word, to read every word, let every word of Jesus don't escape our ears or our heart or our minds. And then when he leaves uh, Mary and Martha's home, he teaches on prayer. He teaches the Lord's Prayer. But then he encounters a, a, a young man who has a problem with his brother. And he comes to Jesus and says, Lord, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And I will refer you to the sermon. But this is what Jesus said. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. How much in love with money are we? How important is money and the things of this earth at the expense of the treasures in heaven? If we put as much effort on the things of God as we put on the things of this earth, we would be so much more advanced in our relationship with God. The best most of us do is do a little bit of both. Jesus says, beware of covetousness. Because covetousness is idolatry. And then Jesus thought about the narrow gate and the wide road. Remember that? I preached on that. Jesus said, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. That's just another way of saying how hard it is. How hard it is to, to be a disciple of Jesus. How single focused you must be. How difficult it may be. And yet how necessary to enter the kingdom of God. We have to be single-focused. There's not ten different gods that you can worship. There is one and only one Son that has been given to be the salvation of the world. Jesus Christ is the, the narrow gate. There's no other way. It's not by anything I do or anything I accomplish or who I am or how many degrees or how much money. It is strictly by Jesus Christ who's the only one that died for the sins of the world. Many will want to enter some other way. Lord, Lord, I've done this much for you and for your church and for your kingdom. And he will say, I don't know you. I, I don't really get you. The door is narrow. Single focused. You have to be attentive. You have to be careful. You have to be committed. And then after he said that, last Sunday I preached to you on humility. You remember he went to eat at the house of a Pharisee and he saw how people were vying for the, the most important seats or how the host had only invited the, the rich in the community and not the poor. 
And the, the one thing I wanted you to remember is that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. And that was the definition I gave you of true humility. Now tell me that's easy. All the teachings of Jesus are difficult. They're difficult because they have to be difficult. Jesus is not, Jesus is not interested in masses following him. He's interested in committed disciples. In whom he can entrust the church and upon whom he can entrust the future of the gospel unto our centuries and beyond our centuries. He's not interested in multitudes. He's interested perhaps on the few. But that are committed, truly committed to following him. And leaving that city and leaving the house of the Pharisee, Jesus is followed by a very large multitude. And he turns around and gives probably the hardest of all sayings. Jesus says, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. And of course, Jesus does not mean that we need to hate our parents or that we need to hate our children. In fact, the commandments of God is that we will honor our father and our mother, that we are to love our children, that we are to love our brothers and sisters, that we are to even love our enemies. And yet here Jesus is drawing a very radical, defining line on the sand to those that would follow him. He uses extremely hard language. And it shocks our sensibilities. It did then, and it does now. Can you imagine that I need to hate my wife? Hate my daughters? Hate my grandchildren? Impossible. But then that's not really what he meant. But he intended to shock And he still intends to shock today by using this very hard word. He's not mincing words, nor changing his message, nor allowing those who follow him to do so carelessly and without realizing the high cost of being his disciples. I have always said to you in prior sermons, and I believe it with all my heart, that true Christianity, true Christianity, is not for cowards. To be a Christian, you have to be a man or a woman of high conviction, committed, of valor, 
It's too easy to be a Christian if you don't take seriously the words of Jesus. We call that being a nominal Christian. But Jesus is not calling for nominal believers. He's calling for radical disciples who are going to make him the most important person in their lives. And his teachings, the most important teachings of all the teachings anyone can hear. He means that those who follow him must love him with a love and a loyalty deeper and more serious than any love or loyalty we have for anyone else, including our most beloved and dear relatives. He means that we are to love everyone, but when the love of those people that we love clashes or collides with the teachings of Jesus, Jesus must be superior. And everything else, and every other relationship, and every other consideration becomes subservient to the teachings of the Master. The teachings of God incarnate. What he means with this very hard word is that he must be preeminent above all other teachings, above all other relationships, above all other governances, above all other rules and authorities. And a disciple has to make the decision. If they're going to follow Jesus, they need to know the cost and the requirements. Because he's not looking for wimps. He's looking for committed believers that are willing to pay the price that may be required of us to pay as disciples of Jesus. Sure, his words may be a, a, a turnoff to following. Even today, some, some of you might be thinking, if this is what's going to cost, I don't want any part of it. The thing is that if you don't, it's still going to cost you. But it will cost you for eternity. The thing is that no matter what decision we make, we either pay the cost at the cost of Christ at the cost of the kingdom or pay the price out of abandoning the kingdom and rejecting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Either way, there is a cost to be paid. And a disciple has to decide radically in his and her life that nothing, no one, nobody, nothing in the world will ever supplant the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives. Even when it collides with the people we love. And the reality is that sometimes, sometimes, it is parents who don't want us to follow Jesus. Sometimes it may be a father who is so into his old life and his old style 
Listen, how many times have we heard of people who become Christians and the parents disown them? How many times have we heard of friends who you can no longer go around with because you can't do the same old thing you used to do? That your values have changed. That your Lord has changed. That your customs and practices have changed. You can no longer worship other gods. I come from a culture where we had Santeria. The voodoo thing that happens in the Caribbean where people go to church on Sunday and then they go over to a party for God knows what. And I lived with that growing up. And you can't do that as a true disciple of Jesus Christ. You cannot share Jesus and your worship with some other gods of this world. When your values change, your life changes, and you may no longer fit with certain friends. And you may not like certain jokes anymore. And your mouth changes, and those things perhaps that very easily you used to say, now all of a sudden they get stuck in your throat because they can't come out no more. And you may not fit anymore. But I'd rather fit with Jesus than fit with the world. Jesus calls disciples to a radical, radical turnaround in their lives. He did then, and he does today. All loyalties and ties become subservient to our loyalty and tie to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. So he tells two parables. The parable of the man who starts building a tower, but he didn't count the cost. And so halfway he runs out of money, and everybody laughs at him, and he looks like a stupid fool. And then he tells us the the parable or the story of a king who is about to go to war with another nation, another king. And he only has 10,000 men, but the man coming against him is 20,000. And he says, you got to count the cost to your to your to your family, you got to count the cost to your, to your kingdom, the people that are going to die in this silly war that you can't win, 10,000 against 20,000. He says, why don't you, if you count the cost, send an embassy and ask for terms of peace? That's smarter than going to war, uh, 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 fight a war that you're just not going to win. And it's going to cost you tremendously. You're going, to, you're going to be an irresponsible king if you do that. He says a disciple needs to also count the cost. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. You can't have the glory without the cross. Any more than Jesus could have the glorification and exaltation to the right hand of the Father without the cross and without suffering he couldn't have it with one with the other or or as it's normally said you cannot have easter 
without Good Friday. Easter makes no sense if you don't realize that your sins were forgiven at the cross by Jesus Christ. You cannot have the glory and the good and the promises of God if you're not willing to walk the walk that is required of every disciple. It is hard word, but the meaning of it is easy to understand. If you're going to follow Jesus, you cannot follow anyone else. All your loyalty, all your commitment has to be to him and no one else. And that will change your life. It will change your life. And he makes promises to you that if you do that, you will live forever into eternity with the Father because where he's going, so will you be also. So here comes the question again. What kind of commitment does the gospel call you to? What does the gospel require of you? And are you willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads you? And let me tell you, in my own personal life, he's always led me to good places. He's always led me to places I don't deserve, to relationships I don't deserve, I, I understand love in a way so much deeper because of Jesus. But I also recognize that I've never given blood yet. Not for Jesus or the kingdom. But I know brothers and sisters in the Middle East and through the history of the church for whom following Jesus has meant death, sacrifice, torture, the loss of all things, pain, and yet because they know the love of God that no one can take away, they have been willing to be martyred for the Lord. I pray that it is never our turn to give blood for Jesus. But I pray that we're not creating a wimpy church either. That we're not creating a weak church that doesn't understand the clear call of the gospel. And that we are willing to follow Jesus through the good times, the bad times, the hard times, all the way into glory. Three times in this passage he says, if you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. It's too easy to be a nominal Christian by attending church. It's too easy to be nominal Christian by saying, well, I give my tithe or I give this much. When I see a poor person, I do this or I do that. That's nominal Christianity. When you are radically a disciple of Jesus, all those things come too. But so much more. 
Jesus calls us to radical discipleship, and each of you is going to have to consider, are you truly wanting to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Will you follow him wherever he leads, with courage, with commitment, with dependence on him, Will you follow Jesus when he calls you? And I believe he's calling all of us in different ways. But I believe every one of you has a calling from God. And I pray that you will answer in such a way that God will be glorified and you will be blessed forever. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, please.